Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. You might think, oh, well, it may not be true, but at least, it, you know, living by Christian morals and values, it'll give you a better life. Paul says, pooey on your better life. I want life eternal. I want the real thing. He says, we are of all people most to be pitied. If our perspective that we're believing something that is not true is what we're doing. You may have heard it said that all religions are essentially the same. Same God, he's just called different things by different religions. If you're a Christian, then you know that that's not true, but you might well be at a loss to even begin to explain why. The central claims of Christianity are unique, and tonight Dr. Corbett lays them out plainly for us. We're continuing in a five-part series on apologetics, giving reasons for what we believe. So let's join Dr. Corbett for his apologetic arguments for Christianity. If today is your first time that you've been at the car, welcome. If this is your umpteenth time, welcome. If this is your church, welcome home. If this is not yet your church, maybe welcome home as well. And just to let you know a couple of things. One, there are people in this building to your left and to your right who are praying for you right now. Something strange happens when people pray for you. And you might begin to experience that now. But there are people here who know Christ and they know the importance of what we're about to do. And they're praying for you. And there are some here today who have never crossed that line from not being a Christian into being a Christian. And I need to let you know there are people praying for you right now and have been praying for you through this week. In a moment, I'm going to share some things that I think are possibly some of the most important things you'll ever hear in your life. I'm not going to just seek to give you information. I'm actually going to ask you to do something with that information. Near the end of what I'm going to present to you, I think it's so important. It's something that you can't just go, hmm, that was interesting. It actually requires of you to do something with it. You can't discover what I'm about to say and discover that it's true and not have it change your life. So I need you to know two things are going to be happening this morning. Number one, there are people right now who are praying for you. Secondly, I'm going to ask you to do something with what you're about to hear. And what I'm going to ask you to do is spiritual. I'm going to ask you to ask God for his forgiveness and for you to experience his mercy. And to do that, I'm going to, at the end, I'm going to ask everyone to stand at the end and I'm, I'm going to ask you to step out the aisle and come down here and meet with me and we'll close the meeting and you're free to go and have tea and coffee out there. But for those people who respond and come out the front, I want to, I want to talk to you and I want to give you some things. I want to, we'll get your name and details so we can help you. There's no 
there's no obligation on any of this. We want to give you a brand new, good quality leather Bible because you're going to need that for what we're talking about today. And we're going to give you a guide and that's, that will help you to read the Bible and understand it and to see what, what's happening here. So that's, that's at the end. So that's, that's where we're going, part of where we're going. I'm also hoping that for those of you who are Christians, I need you to know that there is a team of people who even this morning were praying for you. You are not here today by accident. And one of the things that I'm going to challenge you to do is to be prepared to give a good reason for why you're a Christian to those who ask of you for that reason. This week I have heard story after story after story of people who something was happening internally in their life. They went to a Christian and they asked them, explain to me why you're a Christian. And in every instance, the Christian could not tell them a good reason. In one of those instances, this person went on to do his training in criminal law and went and worked for a law firm and then became an activist in legislation which we as Christians would consider to be abhorrent. But from his perspective... Christians hadn't given him any other option of why, uh, any other different way of looking at the world. And I hope today that if that scene ever gets replayed and someone comes to you and says, I've just got a question for you. I notice you go to church on Sunday. I notice that you have a Bible. I notice that you're religious. Why? I hope you give a compelling reason why. And if at the end of what I'm about to say, I haven't achieved that, I'll tell you straight up right now, I have failed. And it's not my mission to fail today. Kim and I have been this week fasting and praying for this moment. And I'll let you in on something that happens in in the process of preparation. And sometimes I feel ashamed how much effort I put into preparation without doing some of the things that really matter and that is praying and seeking God and private worship and fasting and just wanting to come from God's presence. But one of the things that that I think is if, if if I died after this sermon, that's not an invitation or a challenge either by the way to anyone, but if I did, could I stand before God and go, I gave it my best shot. And that's my heart today. I want to give it my best shot. So will you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that you continue to motivate those people who know how to pray and those people who are praying. That through this service, through what I'm sharing, they will, they will be talking to you as I'm talking to them. And I pray, Father, that for those people who are here today and perhaps they've never heard your voice, that today you would remove all doubt and that they would hear your voice. And I pray that your voice would be heard and that, Father, I would somehow disappear behind it. In Jesus' name, amen.
We've been doing a series, and this is a part of it, it's called Apologetics, and Apologetics has come to mean, or it sounds like apologising, which used to mean this, it comes from these two Greek words, just to recap, apologia, apo, to give, logia, the reason, to give the reason, that's what it means. And we've seen, as we will see in a moment, that we're actually commanded to do this, we're commanded as Christians to be able to give good reasons for what we believe. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it just straight up commands Christians, always be ready to give the apologia for what you believe, the reasons for what you believe. I know that there are some people who say, some Christians who say, we don't need to give good reasons, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But when Scripture actually commands us to do it, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to help us to do it. And so when we read scripture, we're going to see that there are times when Jesus gave reasons. He was asked questions, he gave reasons. When the apostles were asked questions, they gave reasons. Today, we don't want to just fob people off and say, well, it's not about reasons, it's just about feelings and trust. You just got to believe it. Well, that's not how the Bible defines faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, hope is the evidence of things seen. It's, it's the evidence, the evidence of things. And so there's reason. So here's my question. And I've asked this question as we launch this series. I'm asking it again. Why are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, why are you a Christian? There are three common reasons that Christians give. Firstly, the common reason that people give, and it's not a reason, but this is what people will say. I'm a Christian because I was raised in a Christian home. Others might say... I prayed and something happened, therefore I'm a Christian because I've had a religious experience. I had a dream, I had a vision, I had something uncannily coincidental that caused me to realise there must be a God. And that does happen. But I don't think that's the best reason. And then thirdly, it met a need in my life. I thank God that we as a church are a part of not just tending to spiritual needs, tending to the issues of the heart in people's lives. But we also practically feed people. We give people things that are, that are very physical, vouchers to buy essential things. We Just by the way, this, this happens through the week and we don't make a song and dance about it. But you know, we, we are presented with needs all the time and we do what we can as a church to practically, physically meet those needs we also have people who we support who are on our leadership team think of Stephen Hill who's one of the managers at City Mission who on our behalf is ministering to people who are coming out of drug addiction and homelessness and domestic violence and things like that and we are actively involved in that we recently delivered care packages where's Donna Donna how many care packages did we deliver to Corinna House And these go to young mums, young, at times single mums. And these are practical things. Now, now, just even the fact that I say it, I feel uncomfortable because we don't make a song and dance about this. But I want you to know that someone may, may have come to Christ because maybe someone like we've, I've just described did exactly that. And they said, if that's what Christianity looks like, I'll become a Christian. It met a need in their life. But when we look at what the Bible actually says... It exhorts, that's, that's the next level up from encourage. It's, it's, and it's just a level down from command. And it's, it's to, when we're asked, why are you a Christian? 
And I hope and I pray that this week people will ask you that question. That we are told to give sound, objective reasons for what we believe. It says it in 1 Peter 3.15. I've already referred to it. It's our anchor text. It says this, But in your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence. That's the Greek word apologia. To anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So here we have the approach that we are to live out. We're to have a relationship with Christ. It's not theoretical. We're not trying to be religious. We're trying to be people who actually genuinely know Christ and we spend time with him. And out of that, people see the difference and they ask the question and we give good, sound reasons why we're a Christian. And I hope to give you some of those today. So here's my other question. And this is probably not the the crowd for, for this question to ruffle any feathers. But I think it might in some circles or maybe, unfortunately, maybe it wouldn't. If you're a Christian, would it matter to you if it could be shown that Christianity was not true? I remember reading, I think it was Nicky Gumbel, as I, I did, originally did the very first Alpha thing. We were the first church in Tasmania to do the first Alpha. And I remember him reading out an article out of Time magazine. It was, it was um, something where they'd gone to some church official and, and said, uh, we now believe God is dead. This is the leader in the church. You know, there is, the God is dead. God plays no part in our church activity or Christianity. Nevertheless, we're going to press on anyway. And press on anyway with what? You know, God is dead was, the, was their thinking and therefore, n- never mind, we'll press on anyway. If, if Christianity was shown to be not true, would that trouble any of you who are a Christian? Because I'm going to say to you, it should it should. Here's how the New Testament describes the relationship between Christianity and truth. And I, I remember hearing uh, John Dixon say something like this. He said that, that all the religions have a strength. He said Hinduism has this strength of embracing. Buddhism has this strength of offering peace. Islam has this strength of being very muscular. But Christianity has the strength of being true. And if you think about all those qualities, which one should you be attracted to? And I think this was John Dixon's point. Here's how the New Testament puts it as well. Now, I would remind you, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to be reading a few verses out of this chapter. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word. Graphe, that is scriptures, the word of God. I preach to you unless you believed in vain. It's possible to believe in vain because you're not believing the right things. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, the graphe, the sacred text, the inspired word of God. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that is uh, another word for Peter. Then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, 
most of whom are still alive, though some have, beautiful expression, fallen asleep. It's the New Testament outlook on death. Then he appeared to James, that is, his brother, his half-brother, the one who adamantly denied him. Then to all the apostles, last of all, as, one, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And if Christ has not been raised, verse 14, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, you've believed a lie. If this is not true, it's a lie. If in Christ, verse 19, we have hope in this life only, in other words, you might think, oh, well, it may not be true, but at least it, you know, living by Christian morals and values, it'll give you a better life. Paul says, pooey on your better life. I want life eternal. I want the real thing. He says, we are of all people most to be pitied if our perspective that we're believing something that is not true is what we're doing. So this raises a couple of questions, and this text is, is a powerful text, because firstly, it names names about, you can go to these people and you can ask them, is what I'm saying true? Cephas, James is, James is amazing. James, who wrote the book of James in the New Testament. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who refused to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be, along with his brother, his full brother Jude, and the other half-brother of Jesus. These two guys completely opposed it. Not even sceptical, they were cynical. They would not believe who Jesus was. Then Jesus appeared to them after he was raised from the dead. And they were completely transformed. And they both wrote New Testament books, James and Jude. I think they are, by the way, the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. How do we know if any claim is true? So I'm, I'm about to build my case now. That Christianity is true. How do we know if it's how do we know if any claims true? Firstly, it corresponds to reality and what is known to be true. That's how a claim is true, if it corresponds to reality and we know it's true. Secondly, it is usually the best explanation of all the evidence. So for example, a man we're in a building that has no windows. Uh, the, the door does not open out to the street. And uh, there's a, like an anteroom. So to come in, you have to come into the room. Then you come into this room where we've got no windows. Um, but we do have a tin roof. And we can hear something's happening out there. And someone walks in and they're wearing a raincoat. They come into the room. They're wearing a raincoat. And they take it off and it is dripping wet. Their hair is dripping wet. Their shoes are wet. They hang up their coat on the coat rack and we look at them and we wonder, is it raining outside? And we would logically conclude what? Yes, it's raining outside. Do you know for certain that it's raining outside? No, because 90% of the informed decisions that we make in life don't require certainty, 
but we can be certain enough. And so truth corresponds to the best explanation for all of the evidence we have available. If we have a man, wet hair, there's the sound of rain on the roof, he comes in, he's dripping, he's got a raincoat on, the raincoat is wet, his shoes are wet, his hair is wet, chances are it's raining. It may, and that, that makes the best explanation of all the evidence we have available. Thirdly, it is consistent, coherent, and non-contradictory. So truth is consistent. And one of the, the ways investigators will, particularly criminal investigators, will figure out who's lying is that the murderer, often his story changes. And he, he's not consistent. And then, then he begins to contradict himself. And then details don't match up to what is known to be true. He's incoherent. It doesn't cohere with what we know is true. Fourthly, how can we test a claim to see if it's true? It is subject to investigation and may be verified. Or if it's false, if it's false, it can be falsified. Uh, that is, it can be shown to be false. So this, this sounds a little bit funny when I say anything that's true can be falsified. What that means is if it is false, it could be shown to be false. So for example, across the road here, is what I understand to be an empty house. In that empty house, there's an invisible man that lives there. Now, apply this claim. You might come to me after service and go, Andrew, that, that, that's not true. I have never seen an invisible man. See, I told you. How can you prove me wrong? I, I haven't given you any, any way of proving that I'm either right or wrong. But truth has an ability that if it's false, it can be shown to be false. And, and this is where conspiracy theorists have a field day. Like, uh, I remember, I think, I'm, I think I'm old enough or young enough, depending on, to, to remember someone saying to either Buzz Aldrin or, or Neil Armstrong that they didn't actually walk on the moon. And I think one of them went to deck them. They were so outraged. They were sick of all this conspiracy stuff. And yet you have... There's an amazing documentary about how the moon landing was fabricated and all the rest of it. And if you watch it, you think, well, that, that looks pretty reasonable. Maybe it was done in a studio. But then you begin to put in all of the evidence. You begin to, to put in the evidence that there were two... Well, three eyewitnesses at least... And their stories all line up. There's, and there's all these other things that they say, well, why wasn't the flag flapping? Uh, because it's in near zero gravity? And you, you go through and you explain all these things. This is how we can test truth claims. So when, when we as Christians are defending what we believe, we need to make sure that when we get attacked, that we understand the difference between an assertion and an argument. And one of the things for all the couples that I have prepared for marriage, one of the first things I have said to you, if you recall, this was a long time ago, Jase, you might, have, might need to write this down again. Uh, <laughs> first thing I say is, I'm going to teach you how to argue. And I don't know if it was Tamara who last, laughed first or Joe who laughed first, but most of the couples will laugh and go, oh, we have no problem uh, arguing, we have no problem arguing. 
And, I, and, and it's at this point that I point out, I'm not talking about fighting. I'm talking about arguing, which means giving your reasons. And this is different to fighting. And sometimes an assertion is a just-so statement. Oh, that's, that, that, that's, that's stupid. That, that, that's not true. Um, science has proven it. Science has proven there is no God. Is that an argument or an assertion? An assertion is something that is said without any reason behind it. So when someone says, oh, science has proven there is no God, that, that's not a reason. It's not an argument. And we need to distinguish those two. Here's, here's another one that we really need to distinguish. And we need to be careful we don't confuse these ourselves. We need to distinguish between ridicule and reason. Now, I remember once I wrote an article on Thomas Aquinas. And I had someone uh, from America who responded back to me and clearly hadn't read the article. But this was their thing. They saw that I was from Australia. And their, their response was this. What would you know about Thomas Aquinas? You're from Australia. I thought, uh, and, then, and then he went on to describe all Australians as intellectual dust mites, and I was the dustiest dust mite of the lot. And so what I did was I, I wrote back to him and said, you're right, I'm, compared to Thomas Aquinas, I am an intellectual dust mite. What is actually your objection to what I've written? And, and there was no comeback. I, I, I wondered if I should have responded to him and said, not only am I an Australian, well, I'm a Tasmanian. <laughs> Just give them the petrol, they got the match. All right. So Here's the other thing is we need to recognise that just because someone disagrees doesn't mean they've made a case against what we believe. So someone say, oh, I disagree with that. That's, that's, not, that's not true, I disagree with that. That's not the same as disproving what you believe. So when, when you know, someone says that, rather than jumping to you know, your case, you might, you might get them to make their case first. And you might say, well, why do you believe that? Well, what do you mean? And get them to do the heavy lifting. For the most part, they've probably never thought through their reasonings. So here's the thing when we're looking at Christianity compared to all the other religions of the world. And it's an important thing for us to understand and it's something that I think hardly anybody in the general public understands and it's this, that it's a myth that all religions are basically the same. It is an absolute myth to think that all religions are basically the same. I was on an Islamic website the other day and I saw a comment uh, from someone who was from a Christian country, had an English sound, European name, and they wrote, uh, so what you're saying then is that it sounds like Christianity and Islam are basically the same. And the Muslim writer wrote back and said, exactly. And as we're going to see next week, and especially the week after when Dr. Mark Dury gets here, and you may want to bring a second pair of socks, because I can guarantee you, your first pair will get blown off that you'll discover that is clearly not true. And here's why. Here's why Christianity is unique among the religions of the world. None of the other religions of the world, Judaism, Islam, Jainism, 
if, if we call Buddhism a religion, which it's not, it's a philosophy. And then you get into the, the cults, Mormonism and all these, uh, Jehovah's Witness. All, none of them believe what I'm about to tell you. None of them hold to these central truths. The first central truth of Christianity is the identity and nature of God. We, we recognize that the scriptures reveal that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We call this the triune nature of God. That he is comprised of co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And this is absolutely unique to Christianity. In fact, Muslims call this the sin of shirk, the unforgivable sin that will damn you to hell for eternity if you believe this. So how can we be basically the same? So that's the first point of unique difference that Christianity has with every other religion. And the, and the reasons we would, we would have for this is, you might recall the great commission of Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, where, where Jesus said, go now into all the world, baptize them in the name of the Father the, and the Holy Spirit. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or a premium download of tonight's discussion, then please visit our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Apologetics Arguments for Christianity from our online store. As we've heard tonight, Jesus is unique among the world's religious founders and he alone is the only way to peace with God for eternity for all who put their trust in him. More from Dr. Corbett next week for the final of the Apologetic series. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again, same time next week, for another Finding Truth Matters.